Welcome to the Moving Up Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Wilson, CEO of the Wilson Group Real Estate Services, and my passion is creating success in people by sharing my experiences in real estate, entrepreneurship, and community involvement. My partner, Heather Warmbrod, and I will be hearing from expert leaders in these spaces and giving you practical advice to help you accelerate your business. So pull up a seat because we are about to have a lot of fun. It's time for you to move up. So I am super excited about today's show. And I think I start every episode off with, I'm super excited about today's show because today we are going to touch on entrepreneurship, which is one of our favorite subjects that we cover, I don't think enough mm-hmm. on this show, but also mindset, business practices, and just how to attack your day every day in the most positive light. And our guest is a friend of mine, Ash Shaw. And I, Ash, you're relatively a new friend. We serve on the board together at the uh, National Wine Auction. And happened to sit next to each other at many board meetings. So he makes me laugh and reached out to me one day about the podcast. And I was like, yeah, dude, come on in. Come on to the show. So um, because he had some really good lines that I said, (laughs) we can really expound upon this. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Osh, and tell us just a little bit about yourself, your story, your history, and then we'll jump right into the meat of the subject. Sure. I like to always joke and start off by saying I'm a doctor, lawyer, pilot, policeman, so I can marry you, bury you divorce you and deliver you. And if I get the notary public, I've got it all covered. (laughs) So I'm a little bit of a, a a wandering soul, but I'm principally, I'm a physician who's been a healthcare executive and that's what I do. And um, I moved here, spent 40 years in Houston and moved here because I took a role uh, with a large healthcare company here in Nashville. I think I can, you know, say its name without anybody batting an IHCA. And, you know, it's what got me here, but I love being here. If I close my eyes, I think I'm still in Houston from a home place. It's hard to leave someplace after 40 years. We have four really solid seasons here and the people are great and it's been a great experience, but I'm in many ways reinventing myself. You know, if you think about it, you spend the largest part of your adult life uh, professionally and personally in one area. And then magically one day you uproot yourself and say, okay, I'm starting over. Um, And you take for granted professionally, all the networks you have, personally, all the relationships you have, socially, that what goes on, and then you put a family in the mix of it. And I mean, it's a it's a new deal. So as you were joking, thinking about kind of professional development, I'm going through it again. It's like going to college all over again and relearning and in many ways, getting an opportunity to, to learn from the mistakes you made initially. And how do you go about it the second time around? Yeah. So you started out as a physician. Mm -hmm. How long did you practice medicine? Oh gosh. Um, Loaded question. Long time. I'm an OB-GYN by training. So I will, I'll explain it this way. I delivered kids for about four years and then eventually practiced in total for about 10 years. But I always had an aptitude for business. When I was in medical school, kind of a little bit of background, uh, 30 some odd years ago, I sat around the room and met all these leaders. And I said, one day I'm going to be like these guys, right? You kind of look up, you're naive when you're young. You're like, I want to be the top dog. I want the title, whatever uh, that means. And you don't really know the context behind it. And so I asked all these folks, and it was a series of half a dozen executives, how'd you get where you got? And I got a very unsatisfying answer, which is I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I don't like answers like that. I don't like things like fate is going to get you there or wait and hope and all these things like, you know, the joke, hope is not a strategy. So I just said to myself, what do I need to do to have the skills I believe that are commensurate with being a leader? 
Now, as I said on the outset, I was a little bit naive and I thought I'm going to change the world and I'm going to be the guy that helps reinvent healthcare and somewhat Pollyanna. I've learned what that all means and I've, I've reset my expectations. But I just started out on this path that on paper looks a little schizophrenic, but in reality, it's four things. You got to be a good physician, got to you know, know your art and your craft very well, which I did. You have to understand, at least in healthcare, the difference between public health strategies, keeping people healthy and publicly funded health, which everyone knows is the government in, by and large. You have to understand business and you have to understand critically and very importantly, how to lead and manage people. And so I just set out in my career in those four pillars, which has led me to a very diverse career. Like I said, a little bit schizophrenic because you, if you don't know that about me, you see all these things and there's a commonality in that it's all healthcare or healthcare related. But I set myself on this journey of, of really professional development. My entire life, career, joie de vie is professional development. I guess it's the warm cocoon of graduate education that I really love. But you know, at the end of the day, it's this uh, never-ending cycle of really saying, I can be better, I need to make myself better, and how do I do that? So one thing that really piqued my interest about you was you shot me an email. Actually, I can't remember if you shot me an email or we were just chatting momentarily, and you said that you are the guy who is Tony Robbins meets Warren Buffett. So I just <laughs> That's I, sales one on one folks. So. I know, right? Well clearly I missed that day. And <laughs> tell me explain to our listeners sure. that phrase. I loved that phrase. Uh, well I think there's this lovely little intersection when charisma, character and competence intersect. And so it's not just, and to be successful in life, and particularly in business, I've developed this philosophy, and it's experience-based, that it's not how smart you are, it's not how nice you are, it's not how good you are, it's the combination of all these things, and it's one part how you uh, exude that to the world, and the confidence you give others, but also firmness, right? you got to know what you know, and you got to have people buy into that, but it's also how much you give people confidence in themselves, right? And so you can be the smartest guy and alienate the world. You can be the nicest guy and be incompetent. You can be the most competent and successful, but if you don't have people that buy it or believe it or buy into it, you're not going to be a great leader. And so it's this intersection or collision, as I say, of these three concepts. And at the core, for me, it, you know, there's a couple of ideas I live by. They all are trite, but they're important to me. And so I think through life as, you know, a measure of a man is not what he has, but what he gives. And the derivative of that for me in my business world is it's not what I know. It's how I share what I know. It's not that I can share it. It's that I'm willing to be in the trenches with you, roll up my sleeves and work with you. And I'm often asked, you know, recruiters call and say, well, you know, this is a working executive role. And I'm like, well, what other roles are there? Right. I mean, I'd love to be the executive that is the non-working executive, yeah. but my career is about, you know, rolling up my sleeves and doing it with others. And and it comes from this reality that it's very easy to tell somebody, point them in a direction and go, go do that. It's very hard to understand what they have to go through to be successful. So if you understand that, appreciate it, been through it, I think you can be not only a more effective leader, but a more effective mentor. And that's where success comes from, is being there, helping people see their own success. So for full circle, that's kind of this concept of Tony Robbins, where it's charisma and getting people to dig deep and, and believe in themselves and find those core elements. But there is a, a, a Warren Buffett aspect of you got to know what you know, you got to be smart, deliberate, patient, and you got to have kind of the fundamentals in play. And so that's how I think about 
this structure for me. And I've created this management style that I think about, nothing unique, but it's derivative. It's servant leadership at its core. It's um, ethical, uh, doing the right thing. It's empowerment, helping people to make the right decisions, be the success that they can be. It is a transparency. You call a spade a spade. You know, if someone's not performing, you tell them that, but you help them and not dance around it, not be afraid to have the critical conversations. But then it's also accountability, which I think is the hard part. It's the willingness to say that I'm wrong or the willingness to have a conversation and say that you're wrong, but not in a punitive way. And finally, you put it all together and it's the kind of leadership where if I win, it's because of you. If we lose, it's largely because of me. I didn't lead correctly. I didn't convey the right message. And that's hard, I think, for a lot of folks, but that's the core of how I look at that, how I look at business. And and that's why I said what I said, that I think I'm this intersection between the two. You're not going to find me as an insular leader that likes to kind of keep the door closed and not interact with the people. I like to wander, get in, in between. I like to understand everybody's role, everybody's part. Because I believe it's the synergies of all of that that make us all successful. But it's also not just a pure academic approach where you have the right answer and therefore everyone has to do it because you have the right answer. So have you been in academia? Have you taught as well? I have. Yeah. Here in Nashville or in Houston? In Houston. Okay. Uh, med schools, law schools, and schools of public health. And I still keep a couple of faculty appointments. I'm curious why you asked that question, but I have this dream at some point that I'll be the professor at some point. Mm-hmm. But I also am mindful, I don't want to turn my life into this academic thing. There's a mm-hmm. practical nature to it, a pragmatism to it. So, I mean, I like to say that if I go into a room and teach, it's because I've got a lot of hard knocks that I'm going to share with you. But that also keys maybe indirectly on, on something you didn't mean to ask, but um, I have a whole philosophy on mentorship uh, mm-hmm. built around that too. Explain that or talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think fundamentally everybody wants a mentor and nobody wants a mentor. Yeah. Um, I'm be a little heretical here. I think a lot of leaders I've worked with, and I've had the good fortune of working with a lot of great leaders in healthcare and other industries, they forget where they come from. Everybody has had a hand up and a lift and, you know, either somebody has been identified early as the person that is going to go places and gets the gentle supportive hand or people get put through training programs. And I just think people forget as they get farther away from being low on the totem pole, what it took to get someplace. You have to have champions. You have to have supporters. You have to have people that are willing to stand in front of you to take the bullet that if you make the mistake, it's not fatal to you because inherently you do have skills and you have uh, aptitude that somebody wants to develop. And so I take that philosophy as a mentor But a mentor isn't somebody you have lunch with once a month or you shoot the bull with. A mentor is somebody who sits there and sizes you up and knows you, who promotes you, who is going to have critical conversations, who's going to say you're not getting it right. And whenever I mentor, I mean, the first couple of months with folks, they feel as if it's micromanagement at times. Because again, everybody wants support, but they want them on their own terms. But in business mentorship and development, it's a different deal. Like nobody ever says a coach micromanages you. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to business mentorship, everyone gets a little, you know, it's this tension between trying to develop yourself and demonstrate your own competence and confidence and being somewhat dependent on someone else to tell you, are you getting it right? But the example I go back to all the time is if you were with a coach doing skills, would you complain that why does the coach have me do a hundred of these skills every day? Or would you adopt it and say that at the end of the day, unquestionably, if I do it, it makes me better. So that's, you know, in a nutshell, how I view mentorship and it's tough. I'm very directive on it, but 
I will position, promote, protect. And if you don't have it, I'm the first guy to look for what is that right fit? I'm not a, and, you know, people are just failures. I'm, people have their strengths. And sometimes the strength isn't where you're at, but it's about positioning and trying to find people in the, the right environment to grow. So when you've mentored people or have been mentored, so for instance, at HCA right now, do they have a specific program where you're assigned a mentee or is it just within the people who you work with, y'all just sort of you just sort of become the mentor. I mean, is it yeah. anything structured or? Yeah, it's very structured. We have very structured programs. As you can imagine, large organization generally grows from within and so mm-hmm. it develops its people. And like many large organizations, has the core programs of how to develop people. Mm-hmm. A lot, in my opinion, a lot of the development actually happens outside of that. You know, most of those structured development programs are, I think, twofold. One, for people who need to be introduced to a new organization or a new to an organization. And one where you're really at the top and you're trying to get refined and that's where you have these coaches and you have more formal structured development programs. And then there's everybody in between, right? That may or may not fit into a program or by volume can't get into it yet. And then they go the route, if they're fortunate, the more organic, they find people and then they you know, are fortunate enough to just organically have conversations and it turns into a friendship and then it may progress. I'm unabashed. I found somebody day one and I said, will you help me and be my professional mentor, my, my corporate mentor? And so I found and sought people out. Mm-hmm. It's easier for people like me because I love talking to people. I'm actually, though, an introvert that masquerades as an extrovert. So it <laughs> takes me all my energy every day to do what I do. And then I just go home and I shut down. And there are weekends where like the entire weekend I won't do anything which is a weird quirk about me, but, um, but I'm unabashed about, you know, finding right people and taking ownership and, and asking. And I found that asking isn't hard. It's the delivery, right? There are people that will always say, yeah, I'm happy to help you, but they don't really know how to help. I think Mm -hmm. it's a lost art, honestly. And I think it should be emphasized. It's interesting that things like law, things like medicine, things like business to some degree, but not quite in the same vein as law and medicine have these apprenticeship models. So inherent to your development is, as a physician, you go through residency, and then you're a low man on the pole in a group, and then you work. And in law, you're an associate and an attorney, and then eventually you make it to partner, and you're working with somebody throughout what could be a decade to develop yourself. And business, it's, it's a little insular, right? You go through the degree, you get your MBA, you do some um, you know, kind of administrative fellowships, and then you just expect to promote as you grow organically. And that works, I guess, for 80, 85% of folks, but there's, you know, 15 or 20% of those folks that have talent, have raw talent, have aptitude, and they need the direction and they need the guidance. And so I think I fall in maybe that category of just raw talent that needs refining, or maybe I'm just like everybody else. I don't know, but it's worked for me so far. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about mentorship and mentor mentee is it's any level in your career. That's right. You know, to mentor or be mentored. Mm-hmm. Like I love being mentored and I love mentoring mm-hmm. as well. Ours is somewhat structured here, but man, we train the folks and they get trained up and, and the mentor, you know, shepherds them along as well. Hi, I'm Harry Allen, co-founder and chief relationship officer of Studio Bank. Studio Bank is passionate about what our members create and we're here to support you through the process. 
We provide capital and services to build businesses. We offer mortgage and home loan options, whether you're a first-time home buyer or purchasing your fifth home. We work with artists to reach their audiences. We help nonprofits transform our community. And often, the most important work we do is simply empowering individuals to pursue their dreams. We're here because what you create matters. Let's create something together. Visit studiobank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, NMLS number 1761767. Another thing that I thought was so interesting that you said the difference in being coached and having a mentor and that you can just sort of, with your mentor, the difference is possibly you're paying your coach. And when I was coached, I always thought, man, if I wasn't getting X amount of money out of this exercise that they were making me do, then I was just throwing money out the out the window. And the mentor, that's such a, you hold your mentor up here to hopefully, you know, as you said, bring you along with them. Yeah. This is just me, right? And I don't profess to be right in this space, but I've always found it slightly interesting or odd. Like when you look at kind of who does professional coaching, a lot of them don't have a deep background in, in business. They might be very good at what they do. I don't want to dispute that. But it's interesting that a lot of them, a lot of successful folks, haven't worked in the environments for which many of their clients come to them and say, I'm challenged by this. Now, at the end of the day, the core competency is understanding people and and the human dynamics. But a lot of the challenges we have, at least I can speak for myself, are not that I know what's right or I don't know what's right and wrong. It's how do you deal with this particular dynamic because it's manifesting with this particular project or so-and-so, for whatever reason, hey, making this up, they really want to promote above you. And so they're stabbing you in the back. And how do I deal with that on a day-to-day basis? Now, there's a fair bit of generality to that, dealing with disruptive people or dealing with you know non-team players. But it's, I find it fascinating that when I look at a lot of coaches, and I've again, I've been fortunate to have some really good coaches, when you look at their background, they don't come from a body of work that says, hey, I worked in corporate America necessarily. In fact, some of the most successful ones don't have any of that. They come from a non-traditional background. But you're right. You know, there's, there's something about, I expect a coach to give me the tough news and to give me the structure to be better. I expect a mentor to help position me mm-hmm. and help develop me in the organization that mm-hmm. I'm in. Yep. Um, and we all need cheerleaders and we all need supporters. And particularly in this vicious cycle, I learned this firsthand. Very great organization that I'm part of. But because most people have grown within that organization, there are decades of trust with people. So you jump in, been there 20 minutes, and you know your peers been there 20 years. You get this vicious cycle of how do you get invited to the dance, so to speak, and get and be able to perform and show, hey, this is what I can do. We got to have trust. Well, how do you have trust if you never worked with somebody? So you get this vicious cycle of how do you break into something when they don't know you exist? Well, because they don't know you exist, you can't break into something and you continue to not be known. So you expect a mentor to help break that cycle to say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you're doing this. You really need to think about A, B, or C, or they have this talent. You know, I used to joke that when I was a physician, you couldn't be the guy at a party saying, I'm a great doc, come see me. Yeah. Particularly as an OB-GYN. You're just a creepy yeah, doc. Right, you're the right? <laughs> but all joking aside... I'm going to go get a cocktail now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but imagine for a second, if you were at a party and there's a you know five-year girlfriend's like, hey, really great doc. If you don't have one, you should see him, yeah. right? Yeah. Regardless of OB-GYN, that, there's a legitimacy to that. There's a comfort like, oh, 
You're taking care of somebody they think highly of you, therefore I will. But if you're proselytizing for yourself, you're it's just you same know. in real estate. Not same as creepy as being a yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm right. a great but, agent. Yeah, you right. need to use me Here's the best my agent out production there. numbers. Yeah. Come see me. Yeah, right. like, exactly. Oh, it's just, no thanks. Yeah, it's like you're just too self-absorbed or too, right. yeah, creepy is the right word. <laughs> Definitely. So another one of your cool statements was that you, um, and I'd email this to you, that you live a, you don't have a bucket list, you live a bucket life. Yep. Oh, wow. I want to hear about that. I know. Expand on that too. Yeah. That's another great saying. Yes. Yeah, so... I made the mistake early on in life to be so focused on eye on the prize. Like I literally mm-hmm. like, Hey, I don't need to worry about what I do in high school. Cause when I get to college, it'll be fun. When I get to college, I don't need to worry about it. Cause it's medical school. When it's medical school, I'm a doc. It'll be great. And what I realized is I just had 20 years of my life kind of pass me by. Didn't stop and smell the roses. Didn't savor the moment. There are a million things I should have done and didn't do. I like, one in particular, I remember like five of our friends, my friends were like, let's just go to Prague and go stay in a hostel and we'll be there for two weeks. I'm like, mm, I got a standardized test I got to take care of. I need to worry about that. Another one, which is equally bad. I, I was at a rush event and I was kind of like, hey guys, do you know when we're getting back home? Because I got this thing to take care of and I just need to make sure I know when to be home at time. And I'm oh like, God, did you get totally hazed for um, saying that? I was legacy and <laughs> okay. I, I did get hazed. Um, uh well, that's probably politically incorrect to say these days. Right, I can't right, say right. I, let's just say I deserved it. Yeah, after there, that you statement. Go, there you go. Yeah. So I wasn't kind of thinking about, you know, taking the moment and enjoying all that, you know, moments college or whatever, going off overseas, you know, and I just didn't take advantage of that. And so as I got older and it got in, in and then there's this dilemma, you have all the time in the world, none of the money, you have all the money, none of the time. And I got to a nice balance in life and I, and I just realized like I've missed a lot of things. But I also don't want to lament over missing a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I just said, look, no time like the present. Go learn everything you want to learn. Do what you want to do. And so I've just had this philosophy that if there's something interesting to me, a skill, uh, a talent, an experience, I'm just going to do it. And so I, I become, I guess, the jack of all, master of none mentality, but I don't care. Like, I, yeah. I, you name it, I've done it. Um, I could do it long term if I wanted to, but I just want to do everything possible under the sun that interests me. And people always ask me, well, what do you do if you ever retire? I'm like, I have 17 things I could rattle off without batting an eye. And so I know I can keep myself busy. I will keep myself busy. Part of that, as I said, is that lifelong learning component of me. But I just don't want to be, you know, in a, from a medical point of view, I don't want to be close to 70, have seven years, try to squeeze everything in, right? I, and truth, as my parents and my dad in particular always used to tell me, is like, enjoy the moment, live the life now. Mm-hmm. I never listened to it. You know, like most people, you just get on a pro- professional track and miss the opportunity. And so that's really it. It's, it was a practical realiza- realization, I should say, not even practical, just a realization that I let a lot of time and opportunity and moments slip. And so I'm not going to let that happen. And if it's remotely interesting, I will immerse myself in it and then I will do it and enjoy it and move on. So like one thing recently is just a quirk. I've posted a little bit of it, but I want to learn how to box and I wanted to compete. So check the box. I did it. You know, it didn't do very well, but I've done it. And I don't want to just do stuff to do. I like, I want whatever the litmus test is. In this case, can you go, you know, five rounds with somebody? Did it hurt? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Emotionally and physically. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you know, I would I would videotape uh, get these videos of me boxing, and you in your mind you're like super fast, and and it's like wow, it's slow mo. What yeah. did you do? And it's like no, that's real life. That's what it looks like in my head. I was super quick, me and Muhammad Ali, but in real life, it's like I'm just this fat kid trying to move around, you know. So, uh, so it, it that's a great example. I, I took cooking classes and I went to the Culinary Institute of America and said, I want to learn and just learned. And, and is that what prompted you to go to law school to get your JD to, or how, like there's a lot of stuff that you've done. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of crazy things. Yeah. The law school was part of those four pillars. I had an opportunity when one of those pillars was to learn about business. And I was making a kind of distinction between get an MBA or get a law degree. And, and honestly, all credit to my dad on this. He's like, look, he's a physician. It's like, get a law degree. Like you have to know the business, but you have to know it at a very operational level. And you have to know a lot about a lot. Like you don't have to know one thing consistently throughout. You're not like I'm running a ship or I'm running this organization. You have to be able to convey to people that you're giving them advice based on the operational understanding. And I got to say, as a physician who has a law degree, who actually practiced law, that has been the best advice. That has carried me through. The fact that I can go into a room of a heavily regulated industry and understand it from multiple avenues, and then understand how to paper that. In a world where everyone says you can't do it, or, you know, oh, law says you can't, or that you walk in a room and you can navigate that, it's it's amazing. Now, I'm not a lawyer any longer. I don't play one on TV. But having that insight still remains, and it helps me navigate situations, help me, helps me under, you know, as I, I say, have a 360 awareness of opportunities. So of all the things that are just sort of, you know, off of your trajectory, your awesome career trajectory that you've done, whether it's boxing, sounds like you may have your pilot's license, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. your love for wine, culinary. Do you have one that you're like, oh, that was the best thing ever? Ooh, uh, no, no. They're uh, all just good They're all just great. I mean, I love, and, and I can sit down and parse every single one for something different. And look, some of them weren't great in the moment, but were great afterward. I, I characterize things probably in two ways. There are things that I've done that have given me lifelong skills. And I'd say to you, law, 100%, without a doubt. Singular most important thing in my career and professional career. And also because it helped me with a bunch of relationships and and experiences that endure to today. And then there are just things I've done, like fun stuff I've done. And and, and there's lots of those. And, and they just become these little you know, pebbles on the beach of my life. So like, I can't say that one's more important than that one. The, it's the composite that's that's kind of very cool. Yeah. The mosaic of all of those little stones. Wonderful. You have been the most delightful guest. Yes, <laughs> this I is love just, this. Me too. I could listen for hours. Yeah. Tell me, me more. Too. Me too. Well, thank you. You have a super interesting history. And I love that you just keep living life to the fullest each day. That's sort of how I like to roll mm-hmm. also. And I've just never been able to articulate that bucket life versus a bucket list. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds very, Christy, I would say you live a bucket life. <laughs> I do. I Christy's do. not going to talk about herself a lot, but, you know, surfing. Learning to surf. I love surfing. Ballroom dancing. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. Skateboarding. Christy comes in and tells me something new that she's done. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I feel so boring. (laughs) No, (laughs) she has four teenage kids. I I don't. So I just do whatever I feel like doing at that time. But you guys live a bucket life. Yeah. Not a bucket list. Sure. And I think the take home on this doesn't have to be profound, right? I mean, just whatever you, it's this great distinction and mindset of, 
you know, it's easy to get your day to define your day. I show up, I go to work, I do my work, I get in traffic, I go home. Well, let the other things define what Mm -hmm. your day is. You know, my dad likes to say to me, I I cite my dad a lot on things. He's like, work is work. Like, we don't, he he used to ask me all the time, how is work? And I go, well, work's work. Like, and it's a nice way of not saying it was good or bad. And most days I can't say it's great, but it's work. But he's like, that's what it is. It's work. It's the rest that matters. It's the rest that we never really talk about or try to engage. And that's what I try to do. That's amazing. And I'll ask you one last question as we wrap up. So you've been in Nashville now going on four years. Yeah. So what has your experience been like being a, you're not brand new now, but sort of because we're just out of COVID. I mean, you got here in 19, COVID hits what, six months, eight months later. Yeah. I mean, I got here in December of 19 and by March, we're in the midst of it. Yeah. Three, four months. Yeah. So I'll I'll share this with you. Like, I, I think Nashville's a hard town. It's in the cusp of small town, becoming big town, right? Mm-hmm. And we can argue over what, not argue, but debate what small versus big is. But it's a lot of people that have gr- grown up together, that have, you know, their lives together. It's kind of like uh, when you make your friends at Little League, you don't break into that very easily if you're the new guy or new girl or new par- parent. <clears throat> so not only was it hard because of COVID and, and eliminating all the normal interactions you'd have to socialize, to interact, work, for instance. Not everybody was present. If they were, we're all in our offices and WebExing all the time. So you don't linger and you don't have that small talk. But it's a hard town, particularly in the environment we're, we're in socially and professionally and from a you know community activism point of view. It's hard to get into, um, but it takes time. And if you pursue it and get into it, warm people. It's not a negative statement about people. It's more the realization that I didn't realize how many people could say simply like, yeah, we grew up together, mm-hmm. we went to church together, went mm-hmm. to college together, we hang out, Little League, and now, and I'm beyond the Little League stage. So they're still hanging out with those folks. And so it's hard. And then we moved here when our son became a sophomore. So that's not a good time to intersect into school either. And then you're not God, doing the social COVID stuff. COVID too. Yeah. Bless his heart. Yeah, I would say, I mean, fortunately, my son is a complete extrovert. He takes after his mother, which is great. But he, I mean, I, in retrospect, probably the, he is probably the, the strongest person I know for a lot of reasons, one of which is simply just being able to persevere at school in that kind of environment as a new kid, moving in the middle of high school. My wife and I moved all the time, and we moved at various junctures, and I moved in the middle of high school. And it creates a great skill set later in life, but you forget how hard it is in the moment. Sure. Um, yeah, especially kinda, for a 15, 16-year-old. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Well, Ash, I cannot thank you enough yeah, for being on our show thank today. You. This is amazing. So fun. I know our listeners will love listening to it, great. too. Yeah. So for all of y'all listeners out there, if there is something you want to hear about for us to discuss or talk about, don't forget to email us at podcast at wilsongroupralestate.com, and we will get you the information. Everyone have a great day, and thanks for tuning in. Recognized as a nationally ranked top 150 accounting firm, Alexander Thompson Arnold CPAs serves Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Mississippi by providing accounting, tax, and consulting services for clients ranging from small to medium-sized businesses. ATA offers several services other than traditional accounting to the Nashville area, such as technology solutions, litigation support, business valuations, marketing strategies, HR consulting, retirement plans, and third-party administration. Contact ATA partner David Hart by calling 615-662-2727 or visit them online at atacpa.net.
Hey, if you're loving the show, go find that little follow button on your podcast app. This will ensure you won't miss a single episode. Until next time.